Let's pause and just uh, uh, go to God in prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather here this morning. Thank you for the gifts and the abilities that you've given our musicians who've led us in worship and, and just focusing on the amazing love that you've shown us. And Lord, we live in such an unloving world. And maybe at times we go through rough weeks and we just feel like nobody loves us. So this morning we pause and just say, thank you. Thank you for your amazing and perfect love that you've shown us your son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, thank you that you loved us enough that you've given us your word that reveals your amazing love story of rescue and redemption in spite of our rebellion. And Lord, you have loved us so amazingly. Father, I hope and pray That it's our desire to respond to that amazing love by choosing to to love you with all that we have. And Lord, my hope and prayer this morning is that you would open our ears and our hearts and help us to hear what you would have us to hear from your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning we're talking about dealing with debt. And you know, people deal with debt differently, don't they? I mean, you probably know friends, and, and they all have different opinions about death. And, and I came across a story. Once upon a time, the story was told about a Roman nobleman who died. And unfortunately, while he lived, he accumu- accumulated a massive amount of debt that remained hidden until he passed away. And so at the uh, at this sale of his estate, when they went up for auction, Caesar Augustus directed one of his servants to go and purchase the man's pillow. Now you might be thinking, purchase his pillow. Many were perplexed by this strange purchase, to which Caesar replied this, that pillow must be particularly condu- conducive to sleep. If its late owner, in spite of all his debts, could sleep on it. Now, whether we realize it or not, we all need to deal with debt, don't we? I read this, this week uh, some amazing statistics about Americans and debt. We have amassed $710 billion in credit card debt. We have amassed $8.1 trillion in mortgage debt, $1 trillion in auto loan debt, and $1.2 trillion in student loan debt. And if you add up all our debts, Americans, we're about $12 trillion in debt. And that's not even factoring our government. Uh, That's just personally. Uh, Americans, we have debt, and it needs to be dealt with. And so this morning, we're going to continue to explore Romans 13 and see what the Apostle Paul has to tell us about debt. Now, if you weren't here with us last week, Pastor Dick walked us through Romans 13, 1 to 7, and he talked about as Christians, it's important that we submit to the government. He established that the government has been established by God, and if we resist the government, we're rebelling against God. And he gave us three times 
Uh, Last week, when it's all right to resist the government, when the government commands or compels evil, when it's in direct violation of God's word, and when we can exercise our right to vote. And then he told us probably the favorite part of the sermon, right? Part of our submission to the government is to what? To pay taxes. Federal, states, sales. Uh, We submit to the government when we pay our taxes, well, this morning we're going to talk about some other debts that, uh, that we need to pay. In your Bibles or on your devices, turn with me to Romans chapter 13. We're going to look at verses 8 through 10, where Paul is talking about two different kinds of debts. I like to call them life debt and love debts. And let's begin looking at life debts. And in Romans uh, 13, verse 8, it says this, Let no debt remain outstanding. Let no debt remain outstanding. And here he starts off by talking about life debts. And a life debt is a financial or economic debt that we incur living our lives. We've talked about some of those. Uh, for some of us, when we purchase a house, we have a mortgage. That's a life debt. If we, if we purchase a car, maybe we have an auto loan. That's a life debt. How about student loans? If we want to go to college and we take out a loan to get through college, that's a life debt. Or, or some of us here own our own businesses, and maybe we took out a loan to start our business or to grow our business. And those are life debts. They involve economics and resources. And here, in, in the very beginning of our portion of Scripture this morning, Paul makes it very clear. God desires us to pay off our life debts. A debt is something that we owe or obligated to another person. Maybe it's money or goods or property, but it's basically to owe someone something. And he says, let no debt remain outstanding Describes something not yet done or not yet paid. That's outstanding. And so it's not wrong to enter into debt, but it's wrong when we don't eliminate our debt. The Bible never commands us not to go into debt. As a matter of fact, throughout Scripture, there are many passages that regulate but don't rule out the process of borrowing money. Exodus 22, Leviticus 25 Deuteronomy 15, Matthew 5, Luke 6. R.C. Sproul said this about borrowing. God allowed borrowing and lending as long as the lending and borrowing were not exploitive and oppressive. And so the Bible clearly commands us here in Romans 13.8 to pay off our debts. It's a reminder that if we've chosen to borrow money, God requires us to pay our debts in a timely fashion. Now, I don't know if you have seen the, the, these hoverboards these days, those two-wheeled scooters that you stand on and you kind of balance and you kind of zip around on, and they're, they're the biggest thing. They're, they're a hot seller, literally, today, because some of them catch on fire because uh, their batteries uh, explode. Well, Haley and Zachary's friends a few months ago got a hoverboard. And they loved this thing. They quickly learned how to ride it, and they were zipping around on this hoverboard, and, and, and amazingly, and as Christmas was approaching, they came to us. They kind of got together, put their heads together. They came to Dana, and I said, you know, they came to us and said, we would like a hoverboard for Christmas. To my response was, there's only one problem. They're pretty expensive, and uh, we're not going to pay that kind of money for a Christmas gift for you. We will pay some towards that hoverboard, But if you really want that, you need to use some of your money to pay for some of that. And we'll give you an opportunity to work around the house 
to earn some more money to put towards that purchase. And the majority of the purchase would have to be covered by them, whether through their own money or through working around the house, hoping that if this is something they really wanted, they would really make a wise choice and not just say, well, it's kind of cool, but, you know, I don't, I don't think I want it. But they agreed to our proposition, and Haley, being our, our saver and genuine, genuine helper around the house, quickly paid her debt to me. And she looked for different opportunities that she could work around the house to, to earn the money to, to get this hoverboard. Zachary, being our spender and freeloader, um, he, didn't, he failed to mention to me when he entered into this contract that he didn't have the cash to cover what he owed. And uh, that he was hoping, he was banking on that for Christmas he was going to get some money and some gift cards and he would square up then. And so we were celebrating Christmas Day at Dana's parents' house, and his nana gave him his Christmas gift, and, and part of his Christmas gift was, was some cash in an envelope. And his nana said to me, it was great, his nana said to me, said to him when he got that, Zachary, what, what are you going to do with that money? And he kind of looked down, and he kind of said, I'm going to pay my debt to my dad. And he quickly walked across the room and gave me the money. And, and I was thankful that uh, Zachary knew that he needed to pay his debt. He knew that he needed to pay his debt. And Romans 13.8 tells us we need to pay our debts. And you know what? Psalm 37.21 supports this idea. In Psalm 37, David is talking about the righteous and the wicked. He says, the righteous will be delivered and the wicked will be destroyed. And then in verse 21, it sa- David says this, the wicked borrow and do not repay, but the righteous give generously. Again, borrowing is to receive money or goods that you promise to repay. And, and here says, if we, God says, if we don't repay our debt, God says we're wicked. If we don't repay our debt, God says we're wicked. Now, in our culture today, we sometimes use the word wicked to mean awesome or cool or great. But in God's word, wicked always describes an unrighteous and immoral individual. Wicked is not a good thing to be known by. While it may not be wrong to enter into life debt, it's definitely wrong not to eliminate our debt. If we choose to borrow, we must be committed to repay what we owe and seek to repay that debt. And sometimes the circumstances might be beyond beyond our control and affect our ability to repay our debt. Sometimes things happen, and if that's the case, then we need to go to our creditor and make some arrangements that, hey, something's come up and, and that I wasn't planning on, but I'm, I'm committed to paying this debt to you. Can we rework our contract? And sometimes we need to go to our creditor and, and, uh, and, and rework our contract. But if we're going to pay our debt, you know what? Always it usually involves us affecting how we spend our money. If we're serious about repaying our debt, then we need to be wise about what we spend on and how we use our money. R.C. Sproul said this, When Christians incur debt, they, above all others, must move heaven and earth to honor their obligation as a matter of principle and conscience. If you owe somebody something, pay what you owe. Pay your bills and pay them on time. If you enter into a contract... Fulfill the terms of that contract. That is basic integrity. And for your information, playing last week's Powerball and hoping to win the $1.5 billion is not a good plan. 
to repay your debt. It's not a good plan to repay your debt. But God is very, very clear. He desires us to pay off our life debts. But as we think about life debts, it's also important that we use wisdom and not wanting to direct our life debt decisions. We need to use wisdom and not wanting to direct those debt decisions. In Proverbs 22, Solomon is talking about money matters, and he makes a statement about the results of borrowing and lending. Proverbs 22, 7 says this, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is a slave to the lender. If we borrow to buy, it better be an essential need, not an elaborate want, because we'll not be free of our responsibility until we repay what we owe. Now, I believe that this verse has a, a figurative meaning, not a literal meaning here. The person who borrows money, they're responsible to fulfill that commitment. It doesn't mean that if I borrow money from someone, I'm their slave until I pay it off. It just means that you're, you're responsible to fulfill that commitment. And you know what? In America, advertisers and companies, they, re- they reverse this point. They hope that wanting, not wisdom, directs our life debt decisions. And I can, re- I can remember a, an example of that very clearly. When I was at Cedarville, I, we would go into the, uh, to the dining hall, and, and you know, so often there were credit card companies out in the lobby of the dining hall wanting you to sign up for credit cards. Some of you are smiling, so you've experienced this at college too. And, and, and they're offering all kinds of prizes and gifts if you, if you sign up for these credit cards. And, and I was pretty naive back then. And, and, I, and every time I saw them, I was thinking to myself, these credit cards, they, the companies, they don't get it, do they? We're all poor college students. Why, why do they want us to have credit cards? And then I graduated from college, and someone close to me told me that they had amassed quite a large amount of credit card debt. And they were struggling to pay it off. And then it clicked with me. Those credit card companies, they knew exactly what they were doing. They were hoping as college students that our wanting was greater than our wisdom. And so since we had a credit card in our pocket, even if the money wasn't in our account, we'd go out and spend because we had a credit card. And then we'd be stuck with absorbent amount of interest that we're trying to pay off and trying to pay off this debt and was not a good situation. Someone once said, it's wise to have little than be wrong and have a lot. If you need to borrow to buy, make sure it's essential and be committed to eliminate your debt. Wisdom not wanting needs to direct our life debt decisions. And the final thing about life debt is this. Don't let life debt be driven by greed or discourage generosity. Sometimes our life debt exposes our life of greed, doesn't it? But that we love the things of this world. We want what we don't have, so we borrow what we can't afford. And Jesus warned about the dangers of greed in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist, consist in, the, in the abundance of possessions. And John in 1 John 2.15 tells us, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. And the pursuit of pleasure and the possessions of this world provide a temporary, not lasting fulfillment, don't they? 
Maybe you've experienced that this recently with your kids, right? We've come through the Christmas season, and they've gotten all these Christmas gifts, to, uh, to new Christmas gifts to play with, and now we're about two or three weeks out, and, and they're tired of them. Or they come to you and say, I'm bored. And they want something else. They want something new. And, and, and you probably experienced that with your kids. And if we're honest, they learned that from someone, and they've learned it from us, haven't they? Because if we're honest, we do the same thing. Maybe we get a new cell phone, and two months later, a new one comes out with all new kinds of, of, of things that it can do. And all of a sudden, you know, our old cell phone's not good enough. We want the new one. Or maybe we got a new outfit, and, and, and in, you know, while we were at the mall last week, we walked by a store and saw this new ensemble that we just had to have. Because after all, you can't have enough clothes, Right? Our kids learned it by watching us. They learned it by watching us. It's important that we don't let life debt be driven by greed and discourage generosity. Greed and getting stuff drives life debt up, and it discourages generous giving both to God and to others. A great example of greed is the example of Leona Helmsley. And for those of you who don't know, she was... In the 1980s, she was a pretty famous person. She lived in New York City, and, and she had amassed a, a, quite a fortune in the real estate business. Her and her husband owned a lot of real estate and hotels in New York City, including the Empire State Building. And she was known as the Queen of Mean. And, her, and she was known to be greedy, and her greed was out of control. In 1982, her only child died suddenly of a heart attack. And a few days after the funeral, his widow was living in property that she owned, and she evicted his widow a few days after their funeral. And to make matters worse, the greed didn't stop there. She went on to sue her son's estate, claiming that she owed him money and property, and she was awarded $145,000 of the $149,000 estate, leaving $2,000 to his widow and $500 to her four children, his four children. Talk about greed out of control. It eventually caught up to her, though. In 1989, she was convicted and sentenced to, uh, to, to a tax fraud and, and filing wrong income, income tax uh, returns, and she was put into prison. And some of you might be thinking, well, that's an extreme example, right? Because she was a millionaire, and she, was, you know, she had lots of money, and she was really, really mean. I would never be like that to anybody, even to the people in my own family. I would never do that well, the choice to say no to greed and say yes to gener generosity, it's not determined by what's in your bank account. It's determined by what's in your heart. The choice to say no to greed and yes to generosity isn't determined by what's in your bank account. It's determined by what's in your heart. And so, you know what? It's easy for us to look at her and say, well, she was a millionaire and she was so greedy. Well, we might not all be millionaires here today, but... How are we doing? Are we greedy with the money that God has given us? Are we generous in our, in our interactions with others, the people in our families? If we're not careful, we can let our lives just be about getting and not giving. Greed can choke out generosity. It doesn't matter if we're a millionaire 
or if we're a poor college student. Greed's a problem for all of us. The early church in the book of Acts gives us uh, a great example of what generosity looks like. In Acts 4.32, it says this, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. And with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put them at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. What an amazing example of generosity. And how do we get so, how do we get to be generous like that? Well, here's, as I was reading these verses and, and looking at what this says, you know, I think a genuine recognition of God's grace, it removes greed from our lives and it replaces, with, it replaces it with generosity. See, the early church, they were amazed by the grace of God. That he wasn't stingy or greedy with his love for them. And so they weren't going to be greedy with one another. They were going to respond in love and be generous to one another. Don't let life debt be driven by greed or discourage generosity. So those are life debts. We all have life debts. And Paul says, hey, it's important that we pay our life debts. And then he moves on to to what I want to call love debts. And in verse 8 again, it says, Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. In the ESV, it says this, Owe no one anything except to love each other. Love debt. To love is to choose to do what's best for others. It's choosing to do what's best for others. It's a sincere care for others that causes one to sacrifice for their benefit. Do we love others enough, sincerely care for them, that we're, we're willing to sacrifice for their benefits? Maybe a few people, right? A love that's an ongoing care and compassion owed to others. And it's expressed and it's, and it's ex- exchanged in everyday relationships in our everyday relationships. And so Paul here starts off and he says, everyone is due a debt of love. No matter how hard we try, we'll never be able to completely pay off the debt of love. The early church father Origen said this, the debt of love remains with us permanently and never leaves us. This this is a debt we pay every day and forever owe. You know, we may not owe everyone money, but we owe everyone love. A number of years ago, my Mimi uh, got to the point where she was no longer capable of driving. And she had a car, and she wanted to get rid of her car. And, and, and we decided that we would like to buy that car from her. It was in good shape, and she hadn't driven in a whole lot. And, and, uh, and so we said, well, we'd like to buy that car from you. And so we, and we entered into this, this agreement that we would pay so much money a month until we paid off for the full price of that car. And every time I'd go to visit my Mimi, she never brought it up. But every time I saw her, I remembered that I still owed her money until I finally paid it off. Well, you know what? I think God wants us to have that kind of same perspective when we interact with other people, that we show them the debt of love, that when, when I see them, I'm quickly reminded, hey, I owe you a debt of love. 
I owe you a debt of love. We can never get to the point with any person to say, you know what, I've loved enough. I'm done. I've given all that I can. I've loved enough. I'm done. It's over. No, God says we owe everyone a debt of love. As Christians, we live in a society that's very selfish, not selfless, right? So our culture has become uh, full of relationships that are disposable and divorceable. And it's because we don't extend the debt of love to each other. Christ has called us to a continual commitment to love one another. Over and over again in Scripture, he tells us to love one another, to be committed to love. Leviticus 19.18 says, Don't seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And here Moses is, is, is challenging the Israelites, Hey, don't hold a grudge. Don't seek revenge but love your neighbor. And to the Israelites, to the Jews, uh, their neighbor was a fellow Israelite. In Matthew 5, 43, Jesus says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. And here Jesus calls us to love our neighbor. And it expands its definition of a neighbor, doesn't it? Meaning everyone that we come in contact, including our enemies. That's pretty extreme. That's pretty extreme. I read a story about a man waiting for an appointment, and to pass the time, he decided to work on a crossword puzzle. And that must have been before they had cell phones, because who would work on a crossword puzzle now, right, while you're waiting? You just pull out your phone and check Facebook or, or something like that. But uh, he got stuck, and he asked others around him to help him with this clue. What's a four-letter word for a strong emotional response to a difficult person? And the guy sitting next to him said, that's easy. It's hate. And a lady across the way interrupted said, no, you got that wrong. It's love. It's love. And all of us here, we're kind of working on the same crossword puzzle with our lives, right? And we've gotten the same clue in, in that crossword puzzle of our lives. And we have the choice of how we're going to answer. How do we respond to that difficult person? Do we respond in hate or do we respond in love? Jesus clearly commands us to love and not hate each other, even our enemies, those difficult individuals who cross our paths. And of course, we can't talk about our debt of love without going to Jesus' words in Matthew 22, starting at verse 36. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. And this account is repeated again in Mark 12 and, and Luke 10. And Christ is clear here, isn't he? All the commands of God's word flow from these two great commandments, to love God and to love others. And here Christ charges Christians to continue to pay the debt of love to everyone, even our enemies. Even our enemies. Everyone is due a debt of love. Everyone's due a debt of love. The second thing we need to look at about this love debt is we need to endeavor to pay the debt of love because we've experienced God's love. We need to endeavor to pay the debt of love because we've experienced God's love. Some people might say, well, you don't understand. They don't deserve my love. You've been there, right? 
I have. But let's pause and ponder this amazing piece of information. Each and every one of us in this room, none of us deserve God's love. None of us deserve God's love. None of us. None of us who ever lived deserves God's love. And the amazing thing about the gospel, in spite of our sin and rebellion, God sent Jesus to rescue and reconcile us because he loved us. He loved us. He chose to love us. We didn't deserve to be loved. He chose to show us love. Paul talked about this in Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? We were sinful enemies, and God demonstrated his love for us in Jesus Christ. He loved us when we didn't deserve it. That's the amazing and great and gracious gift of the gospel, that, that even though we were his enemy, God had a plan for our reconciliation. Even though we chose sin, God sent Jesus to go to the cross and pay the penalty for our sin so through faith we could have an eternal relationship with God. That's the amazing extent of God's love. And as Christians who've experienced this unconditional love, he challenges us to extend that love to others, even in difficult situations. I want to read you a story of Renee Napier and Eric Smallridge, and I want you to ask yourself this question. What would I have done in this situation? How would I have responded? Their story is an amazing story of love, grace, forgiveness, and repentance that grew out of a drunk driving tragedy in 2002. Renee's 20-year-old daughter, Megan, and her, fr- and her best friend, Lisa, were killed when a, 24-year-old, uh, when a drunk 24-year-old, Eric, crashed into their car, instantly killing the girls. Eric was found guilty of DUI manslaughter and sentenced to 22 years in prison. And while serving his sentence in prison, Renee reached out to Eric She established a a relationship with him. She showed the love of Christ to him, and eventually Eric gave his life to Christ. You might say, well, that's an amazing thing. Well, Renee didn't stop there. She just didn't stop by establishing a relationship. She then went uh, to the judge and petitioned for Eric's sentence to be reduced. She wanted his sentence to be reduced so he could travel around the country with her and share about the power of forgiveness and the dangers of driving under the influence. When Eric appeared before the judge to rule in the reduction of his sentence, he had this to say, before I made the biggest mistake of my life, I was a young man wandering aimlessly. I didn't have a purpose. Because of this tragedy, I've become a man. I now know what my purpose is. I take full responsibility for taking Megan and Lisa's life. That's why I want to give mine and dedicate it to them. And then he turned to the Napier and the Dixon family, and he said this, I thank you from the bottom of my heart for showing me such loving 
kindness. Eric's sentence was reduced and he was released from prison in 2012 and he travels with Renee and they talk to others about the power of forgiveness and the dangers of driving under the influence. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if this is the kind of love and forgiveness, if this was the norm in Christianity, if this is what Christians were known for, can you imagine the influence that we would have How would it affect our family relationships if we were focused on showing a debt of love to others all the time? How would it affect your family if you made that choice? I'm going to show them a debt of love. How would it affect your coworkers if you were dedicated to show them a debt of love? No matter how they treated you, no matter if they did their job or not, that you were going to show the debt of love to them. How would it impact our church if we were committed to show the debt of love to each other all week and not just say hi to each other on Sundays? Can you imagine the impact if we chose to show the debt of love to others like that? When I grasp the fact that God has loved me so extravagantly, when I understand that, when, when I process that, when I think about that, when I, uh, when I meditate on that, if I really think about his love for me, I should be so quick to express an amazing love to other people because he's loved me amazingly. Jesus in John 13 is telling his disciples that he'll only be with them a little bit longer. In verses 34 and 35, he says this, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Loving others without exception, without exclusion, is the way that we demonstrate our commitment to follow Christ. And Jesus commands and he expects this type of love from his followers. And loving others is not a natural reaction, right? I mean, that's not our natural reaction. It's a, it's, it, it, it's a supernatural action. And if we have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit lives inside us, and the Holy Spirit empowers us to share that love with other people. It's, it doesn't come naturally. It's a supernatural action that the Holy Spirit works in our hearts and expresses in our lives, and that's what we need. We need to show that kind of love to others. We need to endeavor to pay the debt of love because we've experienced God's amazing love. And finally, the debt of love is expressed through following God's laws. Back in Romans 13, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Forever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does, does no harm to a neighbor Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Tim Keller in his commentary on Romans said this, So Paul is saying love is really just following the law. In other words, Paul refuses to pit love and law against each other. The obedient thing is the loving thing. The loving thing is the obedient thing. If we want to love others, we will obey God's commands. 
And Paul proclaims the only sincere, the only way to sincerely love and consistently show love to others is to obey God's commands. And then he lists some examples found in the Ten Commandments, the seventh, the sixth, the eighth, and the tenth. And you know what? If I truly love God and I truly love my wife, I'll gladly follow God's direction and I won't commit adultery but I'll stay faithful to the, uh, the vows that I, that I made to her and to God before friends and family. And if I truly love, my fellow, love God and love my fellow man, I'll never let my anger get out of control that I just want to kill somebody. And if I truly love my God and my fellow man, I, I will never take something that doesn't belong to me. And if I truly love God and my fellow man, I, I will never, I'll be, I'll be content with what God has given me, and I'll never be jealous or crave what God has given someone else. And then Paul sums it up and says, whatever other commands there may be in regards to one's relationship with others, it can be reduced to this common charge, to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus is in agreement with this statement. In Matthew seven twelve, he says, Jesus said, so in everything Do to others as you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. And John Stott said in his commentary on Romans, this is why Paul wrote that love is not the end of the law, but but that love is the fulfillment of the law. For love and law need each other. Love needs law for direction, while law needs love for inspiration. Love isn't an emotion, it's an action. And God's word explains how Christians should continually choose to act in love towards each other. Love is expressed through following God's laws. So in conclusion this morning, God expects us to pay off our life debts. To other people, to companies, to stores, he expects us to pay off our life debts. And he expects us to continue to express love to others because we can never pay off the debt of love to others. And so let's ask God to help this be our perspective, our prayer, uh, our plan this morning in this closing thought. Each day, pay the debt of love to any and everyone. Each day, pay the debt of love to any and everyone. It's easier to say, it's tougher to do. And I failed at this miserably last Saturday night. We were having an important family discussion at our house, and uh, we were choosing where to go to eat. And, uh, and, and Haley chimed in, and, and she had a, a very reasonable suggestion, and she had some rational, uh, uh, some rational points why it would make a good, a good idea to go there. And, uh, and I played my dad card and decided to go somewhere else. Because as parents, we have the right to veto, right? And so I, I chose to, uh, to go somewhere else. And, and I could see Haley was disappointed in her face, but, you know, uh, them are the breaks, right? When you're a parent, you can choose where you want to go to eat, and I, I'm choosing tonight. And, uh, um, and so we got in the car, and uh, we're pulling away from the house. And, and within seconds, Haley realizes that ESPN radio is playing and she smartly chimes in from the back seat. The other week in your sermon, you said you weren't going to listen to sports radio anymore in the car. 
And me being the picture of spiritual, the pillar of spiritual maturity that I am, stopped the car, turned around, and said, to be clear, in my sermon the other week, I said during the Christmas season, I was going to turn off uh, sports radio, I was going to listen to Christmas music, and to focus on Jesus. And then, then I said this, and if you don't adjust your attitude, I will gladly turn the car around, we will go back home, and we won't go anywhere to eat. I'm waiting for my Dad of the Year award to come in the mail for that little <laughs> interaction. But in that instance, I didn't pay the debt of love to her. I didn't. I didn't. And I was reading this passage of Scripture, getting ready for this message, and God brought that situation very clearly to my mind and let me know, Jonathan, you failed at showing the debt of love. And I needed to go and ask Haley to forgive me. It's easier to say we should love someone than it is to actually do it. It's easier to say it than do it. And in that opportunity, in that teachable moment with Haley, I failed. I failed. My words were not kind. My attitude wasn't right. It was just mean. I wasted a teachable moment. Showing the debt of love is not a natural reaction. It's a supernatural action. We need to ask God through the power of the Holy Spirit to help us pay the debt of love. In our words, in our actions, in our attitudes, in all of our interactions throughout the, uh, our, our day, we need to extend and pay the debt of love. And we can't do it without God's help. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the challenge this morning to, to pay the debt of love. And Lord, as we've spent time singing about the amazing love that you've shown us, Lord, as we really think and rest on the extravagant love that you showed us, Lord, I pray that By your Holy Spirit, you would supernaturally enable us to extend the debt of love to everyone we come in contact with. Lord, help us not to be like that guy answering the crossword puzzle when talking about an emotion or a response to difficult people, and help, help it not to our natural response to be hate, but help it to be love. Help us to be as believers, to be known as people who who are so extravagantly loved by you and express that extravagant love to others. And Lord, forgive us when we fail to pay the debt of love. And Lord, if we're here today and you, bring out, you brought about maybe instances like you did in my life this week where we just blew it, help us to go and make it right. Help us to go and seek forgiveness. And Lord, help us through the power of the Holy Spirit this week to extend the debt of love to everyone we come in contact with, no exclusions. In Jesus' name, amen.